Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. As I read it, I realize a couple things. One, God's talking to leadership. He's speaking to those that are in a position where they represent him to the people, where they function in a role that's significant. Remember this consecration ceremony. These guys have been held in such high esteem. They've been set apart in front of all the people as that very small segment of people that are gonna serve as priests. And so God said, it is a big deal how you behave and what you do. And the consequences are great. The Bible says for us, New Testament saying, to whom much is given, much will be required. When reading through the Old Testament books like Leviticus, it's easy to see the Lord as the angry God who kills anyone who gets in his way. But that couldn't be further from the truth. As you learn from Pastor Bill in today's message, God holds those in leadership with a higher standard. If you have the knowledge of God's word and you choose to not follow, that deeply grieves the heart of God. And as a leader of God's children, God expects you to teach his truth and love. Anything else isn't of him. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Leviticus chapter 10 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. If you guys remember from last week, in chapter 9, we were looking at what it is to be uh, set apart for service. And so uh, we looked at all the things that they went through as far as the priest, and that was Aaron and all of his sons. Uh, They had the outfits on, and there was that whole ceremony, that consecration ceremony, if you remember. And they were sprinkled with oil, and then they were sprinkled with blood, and they had the outfits on, and they were given all the instructions on how they were to come before the Lord and what it was to be in the position that they were in. And so it's kind of sad, but the very next chapter where we are, we're going to see that uh, pretty much right out the gate, two of Aaron's sons, uh, they mess up in a pretty big way. And so I was just going through this chapter over and over and just saying, Lord, is." I'm looking for, uh, I I see the corrections, I see the warnings, I see the prohibitions, and I was also looking for that which would edify and encourage, and I'll come back to that at the end. So look at chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, And they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, and let me stop right there. So that's kind of a rough opening. Uh, We open up. We just finished chapter nine. There was this consecration ceremony. It seemed like a very beautiful, meaningful ceremony. They had blood on the right thumb and blood on the right ear and blood on the right toe. And, you know, just consecrated in every aspect of your life, what you hear, what you do with your hand, where you go with your feet. And, you know, God had done all this stuff. and, And then just to come one chapter later, and it just seems like right out the gate. There's two guys, two of Aaron's sons. He's got two more, but these two go in and they do something that God is so displeased with that they die on the spot. And as I read that, I can't help but think of in the early church. As you read this, and it's God's just establishing the priesthood, just establishing the order, and almost right out the gate, God corrects severely some sin. In the early church, what was the scenario that was like this that you guys should think of? And nice as a fire. As soon as the church got going, it was so pure and so powerful. And right out the gate, when everything was just going, you had Ananias and Sapphira with their little hypocrisy, and God dealt with it severely. They died on the spot. And I believe that was God's way of purifying, saying, let's not let this become a habit. 
let's don't get comfortable living like that around here. And so he dealt with it right away. So here, Nadab and Abihu, they're the sons of Aaron. Uh, they took their center, put fire in it, put incense on it, and they offered profane. I believe the old King James called it strange fire. And I won't even get on that. There's a whole little conference that someone made. But the idea was this. If you look up the word profane or it means strange or not as God had prescribed. And so God had been, if you guys go through the chapters previous, God had been super specific about every single detail of what they were to do. One thing was this, the fire for the incense, it was supposed to come from the altar. And so they must have got it from somewhere else. They must have taken the liberty to say, hey, we get it from where we want. And I believe there are three things I see in the text that give us some hints or some clues as to what they did wrong, what God was not pleased with. So it says they offered profane or strange fire before the Lord. And if you want to note as number one, it said, which he had not commanded them. And so first of all, they're coming in a way that God had not prescribed. God said, that's not how I told you to come. And again, someone might read this and say, but that, isn't that severe? I mean, you know, what if it's the first go, you know, and you make a little boo-boo and God just smokes them. They die on the spot. Is that what's happening here? Uh, and I believe there's more to it. And we'll see as we keep through the chapter. Verse two. It says, so the result of what they did, fire went out from the Lord and devoured them and they died there before the Lord. So they're there. They're there in the tabernacle. They're there with the fires that they're there with the, the sin offering. We'll find out later. And God just devours them right on the spot. Just they die right then, right there on the spot. Verse three says, and Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke. So Moses was able to get a word from the Lord for Aaron. Now for Aaron, he's a dad. He just lost two sons. There's no way to slice that. That's a bummer. That's a rough situation for Aaron. Uh, he just lost two sons in one day. And so no doubt he's grieved and he's mourning and he's, this is a difficult thing. And so Moses comes to Aaron. He has a word from the Lord. He says, Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. And so as I'm looking for, why did this happen? Number one, I got from verse uh, one, which he had not commanded. They offered something that God had not commanded. It was not the way God had prescribed. Number two, we get it right here in verse three. God says, look, by those who come near to me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. And so we don't know what they did, but for God to give out this correction, God is saying, look, and somehow the way they came was not correct. They came with strange fire. Um, in some way, the way they came, they didn't honor God's holiness. God said, when you come before me, I must be regarded as holy. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they came in a way that didn't honor the holiness of the Lord. And then it says, and before all the people, I must be glorified. Maybe they came in a way that was seeking glory for themselves. God's giving very specific correction. Look, I need to be glorified. When you come before my people, then I want to be the one that's glorified. And so that was the word that Moses had for Aaron. And I thought it was interesting. He didn't have a word of comfort. He didn't have a word of encouragement. But the word that God gave Moses to give to Aaron would preserve the next two sons. And so he didn't say Moses. Moses didn't say, Aaron, it's going to be OK. Uh, he didn't have a, you know, a pat on your back, sweet, comforting word. But he gave him some instruction to keep this from happening again. And so in that sense, it was an encouragement. He was saying, hey, this is what God said. Uh, we need to get this information down so that this doesn't happen again. Now, the rest of verse, um, starting at verse four, it says, so Aaron held his peace at the end of verse three. So Aaron didn't say anything. Verse four. Then Moses called Mishael and Elzapan, the sons of Uziel, 
the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, lest you die and wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, be well the burning which the Lord has kindled. So this is interesting here as well. Um, first, there are people that are sent in to pull their bodies out and take them outside camp. Now, the other two sons of Aaron. So their brothers have just died. These two brothers are told that they can't mourn. In Israel, the way you would mourn is you would rent your clothes. If you were one to show that you were grieving or there was, you, know, you wanted to really make a sign, they would take their clothes and they would tear their clothes and they would put on sackcloth and ashes. And all these were part of the ceremony of mourning. They were told, don't tear your clothes. At least wrath come upon you. They were told not to uncover their heads and not to tear their clothes or else they would die. And so I was looking that up. How come God didn't let them mourn here? How come they weren't allowed to mourn the loss? And this is the idea of their leaders. And God said, look, what I did was right. I don't want you looking sad about the right thing that I did. Everybody else out there, let them mourn. You guys stand firm. Be still. It'd be like this. I don't know. Maybe parents can relate to this. But if you're a parent and as a parent, Let's say you dole out a discipline to your kid, but let's say that the other parent looks sympathetically on as you dole out this discipline. It doesn't really help the situation. You know, if me and my wife are going to dole out a discipline to Harmony, as we do all the time, just kidding, but if we're going to dole out a discipline and if Mika's coming down real hard, as she does often, and I look in sympathetically at Harmony like, oh, it's terrible, you know, it kind of undermines it. It kind of says she's being mean. I'm joking with my wife and stuff, but that's kind of what God is saying. God is saying, look, you can't be here looking sad. You can't be standing here looking like what I did was not right. What I did was right. I am holy. They messed up. What I'm doing is just and fair, and I don't want you looking sad about it. I'm sure it had to be a difficult pill to swallow, but God said, you guys will not uncover your heads, and you're not going to tear your clothes. You're not going to go through the typical mourning ceremonies. You guys are going to just tough it out. Everybody out there can mourn. Verse 7, you shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. So another warning for them was they weren't to leave the door of the tabernacle or else they would die. Again, some people would look at this and say, man, that God of the Old Testament was really, you know, just harsh. I mean, if you do this, you'll die. If you mourn, you'll die. If you go outside, you'll die. And as I read it, I realize a couple things. One, God's talking to leadership. He's speaking to those that are in a position where they represent him to the people, where they function in a role that's significant. Remember this consecration ceremony. These guys have been held in such high esteem. They've been set apart in front of all the people as that very small segment of people that are going to serve as priests. And so God says, it is a big deal how you behave and what you do. And the consequences are great. The Bible says for us, New Testament saints, to whom much is given, much will be required, right? If you've been blessed to grow up in the Lord and you know the Lord and you know the word, God's the expectation of you is much greater. For those that are called to teach the word, James says, don't be many teachers knowing that you will receive the greater judgment. So God says, hey, if you're in those places, my expectations are different and the requirements are different and the disciplines are different. And so it's harsh, it's strict, but also God says this position needs to be revered. These guys are just getting going. This priesthood is going to be going on for years after them. And so God wasn't about to let a couple of these a couple of guys mess it up, set a bad pattern in order. And so they were dealt with pretty strongly. Verse eight, 
Then the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, so this is the third reason I believe that God acted upon them in the way they did. First, uh, they offered strange fire in a way that God had not commanded in verse one. Second, um, it said that those who come near me must regard me as holy and before the people I must be glorified that they came before God in a way that was not reverencing him and didn't glorify him. And thirdly, I believe that they came drunk. Uh, I believe that they had consumed alcohol. And we're going to finish the chapter and I'm going to come back to talk to us about alcohol a little bit. So um, if you're a sipping saint, I uh, got a word for you. So verse nine, it says this, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of meetings, lest you die. Why do you say that? Who drank? Where did that information, I mean, where did this come from? It, it would seem as though it's coming out of nowhere unless this is something that they had done. Um, it's possible that maybe the reason why they came in not regarding the Lord as holy is because they were intoxicated. Maybe the reason why they brought fire not the way God had said was because they were intoxicated. But we hear God speaking now to Aaron directly saying, Aaron, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. You or your sons when you come into the tabernacle of meeting or you'll die. And then he says this, and now he gives a reason. How come you guys shouldn't come like that? How come you shouldn't drink? It says, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that you may distinguish between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. And so God says, I'm not just telling you not to partake. I'm telling you also why. I think that's important. A lot of times as believers, we know what we're not supposed to do. And a lot of times the world knows us by that. They know why we, well, you know, you're a Christian. You can't do this. You're not supposed to do that. But they don't know the why. How come God has called us not to do this? Uh, how come as believers we're not to be drunk? Uh, there's a reason for that. It's not just because. How come as believers we're not supposed to defile ourselves, you know, with certain things? There's a reason for these things. And so here God says, if you come like that, you're going to die. That's one reason that would be enough all by itself. But then he gives more explanation. He says, it shall be a statute forever throughout all generations that why? That you may distinguish between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean that you'd be able to discern. Something that alcohol will do is it will weaken your ability to discern and to make wise judgment. We see that in uh, Proverbs. If you're writing notes, you could write down Proverbs chapter 31, verse four, where Lemuel uh, is told that kings are not to have drink. Kings are not supposed to have strong drink or intoxicating drink because it'll fog them up. They won't be able to make wise judgments. They won't be able to give good instruction. And so here they're told the same thing, to be able to distinguish between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean in verse 11. Then it says, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses so that you be able to teach. And so again, I'm looking at this. God said, don't do it or you'll die. And he gives reasons so that You'll be able to distinguish between the unholy and the holy so that you'll know the difference between clean and unclean so that you'll be able to teach the children of Israel that in some way being intoxicated would interfere with all of that. So I'm going to come back to it. I know it's um, I don't think it's that controversial, but it is controversial. You know, there's a lot of different opinions about alcohol and Christians and alcohol. And where do we stand? Um you know, I'm going to come back to it, but these are kind of some of the questions, you know, is as Christians, is it that we can't drink at all? Are we able to drink, just not get drunk? That's one thing that people are, there's a division or difference of opinion on. Um, was the wine and alcohol in the Bible? 
the same as what you buy at your liquor store today. I can tell you right now, no. They didn't have Patron. They didn't have 151 proof. They didn't have a lot of what we have today is very different. What they would call strong drink and what we got today don't even line up. The wine of that day, I'll come back to all that, but there's something to consider. Um, is it necessary or wise to drink? If we have the liberty, how do we use that liberty? What's the best way to use that liberty? And is it habit forming? And all those things most of us already know. Yep, yep, yep. It's probably not a wise thing to do, but I, I'm going to roll through this chapter. It's a short chapter, and I'm going to come back, and I will just kind of speak to us for a little while on alcohol, give us some scriptures, and um, that hopefully we, we all make wise decisions here. But come back to our story here. Nadab and Abihu come before the Lord. They die. Three things. They offer strange fire. They did some way they didn't honor God as holy and maybe they sought to bring glory and attention to themselves instead of glorify the Lord. Third, it appears that they came drunk, that they came intoxicated before the Lord. And so they died and an example was made. And as grievous as it is for Aaron and his sons, an example has been made. And everybody's going to have to swallow that pill and, and look at what happened that God says, I'm not going to have that. And again, for some people, they look at this and they just think, man, that's rough. That's, is that harsh? Is God fair? God is fair. That's who he is. He's just. He's fair. He needed this role, the person that would serve in this capacity. He needed them to function a certain kind of way. And so God dealt with this pretty severely. Now, from verses 12 down to 16, they're instructed now. You know, Aaron's son that died, Nadab and Abihu, they were going to offer something. They got left undone. So now the other brothers are going to be told to go finish it up. Go take care of uh, what they had not done. And it's obviously going to be a very difficult thing. I don't want to misread that. Anybody here that has siblings, if in one day two brothers die, you're messed up. Um, you're broken. Um, there's sorrow. There's sadness. There's grief. There's hollow feelings. There's all these things. That, that's where they're at. They're going through it. And they're being told now, hey, you guys go finish up what they did. So look at verse 12. And Moses spoke to Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar his sons who were left, so those are the two that made it, um, take the grain offering that remains of the offerings made by fire to the Lord and eat it without leaven beside the altar for it is most holy. So they're told to go take this offering, offer it and eat it. And we're going to see that they didn't feel like eating. So verse 13, you shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due and your son's due of the sacrifices made by fire to the Lord for so I have been commanded. The breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you, for they are your due and your sons due, which are given from the sacrifices of peace offerings for the children of Israel. The thigh of the heave offering and the breast of the wave offering, they shall bring with the offering of fat made by fire to offer as a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be yours and your sons with you by statute forever, as the Lord has commanded. Then Moses made careful inquiry about the goat of the sin offering, and there it was, burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, who were left, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering of the holy place? Since it is most holy, and God has given it to you to bear the guilt of the congregation and to make atonement for them before the Lord. So Moses gave them this long old instruction, take this grain offering, this other offering, finish it up. You guys are going to eat it, give it to your kids. It's your portion. There's what you're supposed to do. Moses comes and makes careful inquiry. So Moses kind of checking up behind him and he realizes that they didn't do what he said do. That the offering is there burnt up, but they haven't eaten it in the holy place like he had told them. And so Moses is angry with them and he's going to confront them about it. He's upset with them over it. Um, and I would just say this. Why is Moses angry? Is his anger undue? 
Um, anybody here that's ever been mad at your kid because they were messing up? You know, have you ever been mad at your kid because you know, like, if you keep doing this, you're going to die. And you're mad at them because you love them. I think it's that kind of mad. Moses like, man, we just lost two. Now, I told y'all what to do, and y'all didn't do it either. You know, he's, it's that kind of anger. It's a more righteous kind of anger. And so, again, I think parents could comprehend that, that uh, you're mad for them. You know, it's like, man, I'm just mad that you are. I don't want to see you mess up. I don't want to see you die like that or whatever. Um, I believe Moses is that kind of anger. He's concerned for them. And he's like, why didn't you just do what I said do? We've, we've just dealt with something pretty severe here. And so he's upset with them um, because they didn't do it. Verse 18 says, see, its blood was not brought inside the holy place. Indeed, you should have eaten it in the holy place as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Aaron speaks up. Look, this day they have offered the sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. And such things have befallen me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? And it says when Moses heard that he was content. And this is pretty much what's given back. You know, they, he says, look, man, if, you know, it was a sin that they didn't follow through and do what they were supposed to do. It was a sin of weakness. They're obviously broken. They're weakened. There's sorrow. There's all these things going on. And they're saying, we, I mean, if we had done it, would it have been accepted anyway? Um, and for whatever reason, when Moses heard that, he was content. This is my question. Nadab and Abihu sinned and they died. These other two sons, they sin just the same, but they don't die. And so... How come? How come Eleazar and Ithamar, they don't die for their sin, but Nadab and Abihu died for their sin? They both didn't obey some portion of what was prescribed for them to do, to die, to get kind of a pass. And so that's something I was looking at. So I would say this, Nadab and Abihu sin was a sin of wickedness. They didn't, they weren't sad. They weren't sorrowful. Um, and it's, you know, as it's listed out, you know, they did three things wrong. They didn't follow an instruction. They didn't give glory or honor to God. And they came drunk. You know, that maybe it was a strikeout. Check one, check two, check three. They struck out with the Lord. You know, they came. It was a sin of wickedness. Um, with Eleazar and Ithamar, it appears that it was a sin of weakness, that they were in a weakened place. There was sorrow. There was grief. I would imagine not even having an appetite. You know, if you're just dealing with the death of your brothers and it's like, I don't want to eat an offering. <laughs> I don't want to eat chicken right now. I don't want to eat the thigh. I don't want to eat the breast of the wave offering. I'm not hungry. I don't want it right now. And they didn't eat it. And it appears that it was a sin of weakness. And I would say that there's a difference. Um, there are things that people do intentionally wicked. Um, I believe that God sees and God knows the difference. Um, there are things that everybody here has got weaknesses. And there are things that may be in your weakness. Um, you struggle and you battle and you're weakened in some area. And does God see it different? All sin is sin. God knows what we're doing. But is there a difference between a willful, self-willed, wicked intended sin and someone that's weak and struggling sinning? Is it different before the Lord? I believe it is. If you're writing notes, uh, I'd like you to write down Psalm 103. And I'm going to read verses 10 through 14 of Psalm 103. It's a great psalm. It's almost like God's benefits package for those that believe in him. Psalm 103, I'm going to read verses 10 through 14. It says this, speaking of our sin. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And then in verse 13, look at this. As a father pities his children, 
So the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And just a reminder there that God looks down and he realizes the frailty that we have. He realizes our weakness and our frailty. And so for the person that's struggling, for the person that's been weakened in some area, God's patient, God's merciful, God loves, God intervenes, he helps, he forgives. Um, here it even says he, he pities us. You've been listening to another edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Thanks for tuning in. The book of Leviticus is full of relevant content that can still be applied to us today. Yes, even the Old Testament book that seems to just be full of rules and regulations. It's full of the grace of God. No matter how many times the Israelites seem to misunderstand or misjudge God, He still forgave them. He still gave them chance after chance and gave them what they needed. How many times in your life can you see that God has done the same for you? He gives grace even when we make mistakes. He gives grace even when we don't deserve it. He gives us chance after chance after chance. There is no one else like him. If you're struggling with your own mistakes and are having a hard time accepting the grace of God, we'd love to connect and pray for you. Our number is 310-245-4811. Again, that number is 310-245-4811. And if you're ever in the Inglewood area, we want to meet you in person. Our service times are on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you're unable to visit in person, we stream our services online too. For more information, such as directions and links to media pages, just visit CalvaryInglewood.org. Again, that website was CalvaryInglewood.org. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Leviticus, and you won't want to miss it. Learn more next time right here on A Transforming Word.